0: welcome to wehc 90.7 and you're tuning in to she walks with carly Blaylock and sharon bowers we're so glad that you came today and tuned in and we're going to be talking about some things that we think are near and dear to everyone but specifically near and dear to women in our current culture we're going to just talk a little bit about toxic productivity and looking at it through a lens of feminism in particular, but it affects everyone. So if you're listening in and you're working, 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 and you feel like you just have to keep working, 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 this show is for you. So we're glad you're here. Carly, glad to see you today.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, let's start out by maybe uh, Ivy, the the station manager always wants us to give a working definition of the things we talk about, and sometimes we get so excited and we forget about it. So we're just going to do just a, a layperson's term terminology for toxic productivity that will get us started. Carly, do you have one, and then I have one too.
1: Yeah, mine is very simple, and I think yours is probably a little bit better. But the one um, that this article uses is toxic productivity is an obsessive need to always be productive regardless of the cost to your health relationships or life. This can also be seen as what's called action bias um, or doing bias where you need to continually produce or do in order to to be worthy of, you know, being a human, right? So that's um, kind of the definition that this article uses.
0: Well, mine's kind of just the same way I was looking at an article uh, called the psychology of toxic productivity and how it's impacting students in particular, but one of the things that they were talking about. They said that toxic productivity and burnout aren't really formally recognized conditions, but there's no doubt that they're widespread in colleges and everywhere else, and so it was just saying if you feel like you're working harder and maybe not smarter, or if you're working and you continue to work and you feel the pressure to perform, the pressure to produce, then you may be experiencing toxic productivity. And I imagine, you know, as a woman, it's all the time. It's like, there's no rest for the weary. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, you know, also this, this compulsive need for busyness, Um, one of this article is called toxic productivity has become a hazard to our health. Um, It's written by Geraldine Walsh. And she says, um, we have been taught in society that being busy equals success, that we should keep pushing for success, even when it doesn't feel good. It is often misunderstood that being busy also means being productive. It can leave us feeling guilty when we do not feel productive enough. Um, because we that's our culture, right? Our culture values this busyness, this product, you know, productivity. And one of the things this article argues is that busyness does not equal productivity, right? The busier you are doesn't necessarily mean you're producing more or you're doing more. And for women, especially, you know, we've talked about before, you know, that women are held to a much higher standard. So, you know women sort of have this this need by society this pressure from society to constantly be producing doing proving themselves right and that's ties right into that toxic productivity mindset
0: yeah i think it, like you said it's the western culture you know the whole thing about striving for wealth for fame for beauty for uh, you know Accolades, getting all of this. I mean, we're on a treadmill trying to get somebody to see us, see me, see me, see me, see what I've done, look at my vita, look at this, you know. And so that busyness, I think, often translates in from a Western perspective to uh, I've done more than you. And we do it all the time. Now, there's nothing wrong with academic accolades achievements and sharing those with people, because as an expert, you can help somebody based on where you've been and what you've studied and what you've done. But when we start trying to look at it, like my stuff is bigger than your stuff, or my stuff is better than your stuff, or what school did you graduate from? That's not really a reputable, I mean, we got all these things that we do when in actual fact, you know, our productivity is, is challenged because as you said earlier, it may not necessarily be a good thing that you're producing. What are you producing? And I think that's one of the reasons why we say that it's toxic because when I first came here to Emory and Henry, it's been about two years. I was blown away because all we did was meet, 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 meet. And then it got worse when we had to go to uh, virtual because of the pandemic. I mean, every waking moment was a meeting. And so there was no time to do the work that you talked about that you would do or own in the meeting. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes that's, I think, worse for women because women are not in the key leadership positions. Let me, let me not say women are not in key leadership positions at Emory & Henry. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is often we, women are the ones who are expected to do whatever it is that you talk about.
1: (laughs) Right. And, you know, we're going to do sort of a part two to this conversation in our episode, which will air next week. But you know, all of the things that women are asked to do, who's the one that's taking the notes in the meeting. Who's the one scheduling the meetings. Who's the one keeping up with everyone's calendar more than likely that's going to be the woman in the room. And so when we talk about that, it's like all of these ideas are thrown out and then the women are the ones that have to come in and organize it and structure it and like get it off the ground. And you're exactly right. Academia does is, has, this like stamped on it right in this competition factor and who's been published more and who's written more books and who's done this and that and all of that at the end of the day what does that prove you know there are brilliant people who have never been published or never written a book or written one book right
0: mm-hmm. and what does
1: that mean and so this idea that like like you said we want our resumes to just be filled with things but at the end of the day are we happy with that are we fulfilled by that work and you know one of the things that this article talks about is tying this toxic productivity to to health because we know that burnout you know when we talk about burnout a lot of times people think oh well that you know just take a long weekend take a day off you know and you'll be ready to go again. And that's not how burnout works at all. Burnout takes months to recover from, and it can lead to physical symptoms such as exhaustion, complete energy depletion, stomach issues, headaches, low mood, inability to cope with stress, um, distancing from your loved ones, and of course will will result in poor work performance, but that should be the very lowest of the list. So ultimately, what are you accomplishing, right?
0: Yeah, uh, in that article about students, one of the things that it said was it said that there's an expectation with students that students would have poor eating habits and poor sleeping habits. So you almost have to fulfill that, you know, and that some way is translated in the sacrifices that you make for the pursuit of your degree and as you said it just goes on and on and on and it ends up with the concept of burnout that people don't even believe is a real concept and like you said how do you fix burnout or how do you fix toxic productivity and you know it's going to take some real self-care but it's hard to implement self-care in a society that doesn't honor self-care you almost feel like you're stealing some time away or if your productivity is not equal or surpasses that of your colleagues that somehow you're not worthy of the promotion or whatever it is that comes next so it's so hard to get off that treadmill and that's why i believe you know the concept is talking about your productivity can be toxic it can hurt you it can harm you and and one of the things that it can really do is harm others because when people aren't prepared and you know and they still have to produce then they resort to less than scrupulous methods you know and sometimes people get caught in the fray and often that is women that get caught in the fray you know people steal your ideas they they take it they try to run with it they try to do it then they end up having to come back and you have to double work to do something that's been put out there in a way that you weren't planning on putting out there anyway but they rush to do it so that they could get the accolades that went with it and now you're actually having to work harder to catch up with it because you're not the boss they are.
1: <laughs> right, absolutely. And this article also talks about, you know, that we wear our productivity like a bad badge of honor, as though working excess hours, putting our jobs first, neglecting our well-being means we are succeeding in our careers. We forego um, plays with our friends, give our children less time, skip rest and sleep, and rush our meals but being busy is not productive. It is hurried frantic and likely overwhelming. And I think that's really important because that is like that badge of honor, that good feeling that you get from like accomplishing something doesn't last forever. And especially if you think you're doing it for other people, you're doing it for your institution, for your boss, for whoever, well, that, that good job, that pat on the back is not gonna last forever, right? And I think it's important that people understand and have a healthier relationship with their jobs and like set boundaries around their time, you know, because what we're seeing is like you said, this extreme burnout, extreme. And the pandemic of course helped cause that, but people are just overwhelmed and exhausted. And ultimately we're not accomplishing as much as we could, if we would just take some time to breathe and to rest and to relax. Right. You know, and blocking off time on our calendars to get things done rather than just meet and meet and talk. And you know, all of the things that we do to like show we're doing things. Well, let's actually do the things, right?
0: And and I think, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but even the pandemic proved that we could work from home and get our jobs done and do what we needed to do with excellence. But there's that thing that says, if I'm paying you, I need to see you. And you need to be in the office and you need to be performing, you know, you need to be doing this. And as you said earlier, I don't think we think about all of the unintended consequences, excuse me, of um, of this toxic productivity, like these whole gastro kinds of things that people are having. I mean, and we see it in students all the time. The anxiety levels are so high and they're high because there is no place to get off. And when you get off, you think that you're stealing and the schedule is so packed with so many things and more and more and more and more and more. And it's really difficult to find that time. And then when you find that time, it appears that you are stealing it you're stealing your own time. So, uh, you know, we, we talk about Sabbath and, and, uh, I hope we get to talk about this one time. There is a woman, she calls herself the Bishop of the NAP ministry and she has started a NAP ministry. And she talks about it from the perspective of resistance. Mm -hmm. And I think it's critical for us to see that there must be some resistance to this toxic productivity because it's not in the DM five, DM six, whatever. It's not one of those things that's diagnosed as a Quote unquote real problem, neither is burnout for that matter. So they're not going to say, yes, we diagnosed you with toxic productivity. And so here's the remedy, or yes, we've diagnosed you with burnout. Here's the remedy. That's not the way it is at this point. So we have to diagnose ourselves. <laughs> and 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 sometimes it, that looks like resistance and often it involves strategies for self-care.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we can talk about some strategies here in a little bit about, you know, how to sort of avoid this this toxic productivity trap. But you were talking about the pandemic, and I think that is such a key um, part of this conversation. Because I think, you know, pre-pandemic, people were absolutely talking about this. But when the pandemic hit, it really kind of snapped a lot of this into focus. And one article um, called, When Doing is your Undoing, Toxic Productivity, Why Doing Less is More Efficient and Healthier. This uh, article says, the pandemic especially seemed to encourage this toxic productivity, despite people having more free time, quote unquote, due to quarantine, you know, no commuting time, furlough, job loss, things like that. Many felt they had to double their efforts and be seen as doing more. The the drive was underlined by self-imposed expectations of working from home and need to prove themselves as well as social media bombardment about learning new languages, baking bread, holding events via Zoom or getting fit, right? So like, even if you weren't necessarily that productivity didn't come from your job, this internal like, oh, you have some more free time, well, what are you gonna do with it, right? Instead of realizing that we are going through a massive pandemic, which is going to leave us all, even if we didn't end up getting COVID, severely stressed, severely um worried about the state of the world right our loved ones and we were going through this you know collective trauma and no one really like i don't think any of us really paused to sort of process that it was more like oh now i don't have to commute to work what can i do with that extra hour of time
0: right and and often people gave you extra work so that you would do it in that length of time because you were not visible but I don't know about you, but I've seen people who sit in a cubicle or sit in an office and they are doing absolutely nothing. No one knows what they're doing. No one knows where they are. And especially if they're empowered enough to disappear, they disappear for a long period. So productivity, the way we view productivity is already toxic. And then you add to it the performance part of it and it just gets really, really, really crazy. Because I think part of you know the whole issue or the whole challenge, especially in academia, is the mental trauma that that you, one experiences when one is in that trap of you know publish or burn. Uh, I'm currently finishing my dissertation and I've been finishing it for the last five years. And so I get comments all the time. Well, what are you waiting on? Why is it taking you so long? I mean, I hear things that are really not very encouraging at all from people who already have gone that path and have forgotten what it, what they had to go through in order to do that. But then other people act like it's the easiest thing in the world that you ought to be able to work in my case, take care of an 88 year old mother, um, you know, do all the things that are societal, that are necessary, my stuff, her stuff, doctor's appointments, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then be able to sit down and write an original work. Yeah, (laughs) I know. (laughs) in three months and i know there are people like uh, what's that guy tony uh tony something, yeah who said he sat down and wrote that book that changed the world and all that kind of stuff and maybe he did i'm not questioning what he did i'm just questioning the fact that i cannot sequester myself in a one room apartment and not have any outside uh stimulation unless i choose and write i don't have that luxury no my productivity doesn't look like what people expect my productivity to look like. and this is going to tie in wonderfully with our next episode where we talk about invisible labor
1: because you're exactly right you know if you're just looking at your dissertation that's one small aspect of a much larger group of things you have to do and the things that you have to accomplish and there's a a quote that went around it's become a little infamous now basically says, um, you have the same hours in the day as Beyonce, so what's your excuse? And people, (laughs) people ripped it apart because Beyonce has an entire team of people who support her, whose entire job is to make sure she looks good, her errands are run, you know, she doesn't have to worry about setting up any appointments for herself, like, Childcare. She gets to to
0: visit her children. (laughs) Yeah.
1: She has someone that drives her places. You know what I mean? Like, so no, you don't have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce does. You just don't. And so, you know, this idea of like, well, what's your excuse? Why aren't you producing more? Why aren't you, you know, making the tough choices and working late and doing whatever it is that, you know, people are kind of putting that pressure on. Right. And you're exactly right. People have humans they have to care for right whether those are children or parents or siblings Um, you have all of the things that you have to do to just live you have to run errands clean your house uh, make sure you've got you're going to your doctor's appointments some people have chronic conditions and i think ableism is a huge part of this conversation right yeah yeah my productivity may not look like your productivity and that doesn't mean that i'm not good at my job or that i'm not accomplishing things or that i'm not doing what is required of me in my job description it just means that it may look different and that's okay and so you know i feel like people just very much forget that part of the conversation that it, the western idea of of productivity is very ableist
0: one article i read said it said the problem with productivity is it is measured by one's physical capacity to get work done and we'll talk a little bit about this in our next episode but while the emotional labor remains invisible, the emotional labor remains invisible. And that's some of the stuff that we're talking about, you know, right here, right now, I can remember once I had a boss and I was telling him, my former boss had been like what I considered less than, and it wasn't a matter of toxic productivity. It was just a matter of productivity. And I said, and they had even asked me, what is this person doing? And I was like, I don't know, it's not for me to figure out. I mean, you're their boss, you need to figure it out. So we kind of laughed about that and let it go. But when we talked, the next thing I know, I got a list asking me what were my deliverables, which I thought was interesting that you had someone that you never asked what their deliverables were, you don't know what their deliverables are, they haven't done the basic things like vision, mission, goals, objectives, all that kind of stuff. And then I get a question that says, what do you think your deliverables should be over the next six months or whatever? And I remember thinking, isn't that ironic that you could bring to light something that's not done from a perspective for someone else and then you get it done to you? because you dared to say that, and I'm thinking, you know, and I don't mind because I think deliverables are important and we should all have them, but also mine are going to be couched in with dissertation, care for my mother, and care for me. Care for me. Mm -hmm. So if you think I'm not producing enough, you always have the right to tell me you think I could produce more, but it needs to be realistic. And, and in comparison to the production level of all people, not just women. And, 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 you know, again, I talk about this often, and I know maybe some of our listeners are like, enough already, but it's that whole intersectional piece yeah. that the burdens are great. The emotional toxicity and abuse are great for intersectional people. Right.
1: No, you're exactly right. And um, there was also a quote that I saw floating around. Um, it was a black woman that said this. She said, you can be good, I have to be great, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And that is, you know, that I feel like is that intersectional piece, right? You know, us as women, we have to be good. We have to be really good at what we do. Black women, women of color have to be great at what they do. And so, you know, and that again, ties into that toxic productivity piece of like, I'm not going to give you any room to say that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing or that I'm not excellent at my job. Because if you do give that for whatever reason, make a mistake, whatever the case may be, that's going to be so much worse.
0: Have to take a kid to the doctor.
1: Right. (laughs) That's going to be seen as so much worse than somebody else doing it.
0: Yeah, I I think that, you know, again, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but I do think the intersectional piece of this toxic productivity is real. And then I think from a feminist perspective, a black feminist, a womanist perspective, we're the ones who are recognizing it. And so the dominant group, you know, uh, is not recognizing this because they're not having to do... What we're having to do, which is what we're going to talk about in the next segment, when we talk about this invisible labor kind of piece that goes around every day that goes unnoticed and you see it all the time, like. um, You, you, especially women who are in positions that are uh, male dominant like i'm clergy, and so I have seen men that have marginally ran their churches you know like just loosely let everybody else do all the work they showed up on sunday and preached. sometimes they did a bible study on wednesday sometimes they didn't and they were looked at like they were the greatest thing since sliced bread Mm -hmm. and then as a woman i've been in positions where i've worked my head off i just worked work work set up all these systems blah, blah 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 and there was no uh nothing that went with it as a matter of fact they saw it as laborious and then when i was moved from that position and a man came in they thought whatever he asked them was wonderful and i met with him and i said hey dude how are you doing uh he said i want to thank you for leaving a wonderful strategy we are following all the things you left and it's all coming to place and it was amazing i have not had to do anything except pick up your plans and execute Mm -hmm. and i thought and all the hell that i got to say hey we need a, 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 a media presence. You know, we need a social media presence. Hey, we need to record. Hey, we need all of that. That was met with total resistance. Now they followed the plan and life is wonderful. So I know that was a little bit of a soapbox audience, but I'm just saying that that's the way it plays out from an intersectional perspective. So the work yeah. that you do as a subordinate person, quote unquote, regardless of how you are subordinated, ableism, you know, human sexuality, ethnicity, race, gender, all of that, regardless of that, it is so difficult to, uh, to and, and, you, and you have a lot of people who are leaving, they're just leaving, they're just walking away. And we can talk about the great resignation, but it's past the great resignation, in my opinion, this is solely a Sharon Bowers opinion, but I think people are just checking out because of toxic productivity. And, yeah. and excuse me, in spaces where you could never win. You could yeah. never win.
1: No, I think you're exactly right. And I think this is bigger than the great resignation, right? But I think the great resignation was a response to, like you said, we worked from home and we were successful and we realized that we could do that and that we were capable of doing that. And we also burned ourselves out and so i think it's kind of a response to that and not feeling appreciated by the people who employ us right um and i think and i'm using the collective us right as yeah yeah, yeah, um and so like you know i think there's that that piece to it and i think we're going to continue to see this um i think we're going to continue to see people opting for remote work telework jobs people working in fields where there is a lot more flexibility even if they do have to go into a physical building just because that's that's so important and having that time to yourself to rest and recharge is necessary it's not a it's not a an option right it is something we have to do
0: old words that we used to use in corporate america like micromanagement um i don't know if we still use those words or not but that kind of uh dominant subordinate boss employee superior supervisor all of those kinds of things they really can add to this whole toxic productivity piece and it can really be be difficult when you have people who think that you know you're on the treadmill and you got to produce 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 and never rest 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 and i'll i'll tell you uh um, Folks, those of us who work at Emory & Henry, it is a and it's academia, but it is really a big production meal. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it. Carly, you and I, we, we're part of a mindfulness group that are, we're trying to implement some mindfulness strategies at Emory & Henry. Uh, when I was on campus, one of the things that I used to ask all the time, can we have a no-meet Friday? We didn't have to not work on Friday, just no meetings on Friday so that we could get some of the work done that we'd been meeting about Monday through Thursday. We could make some of those phone calls. We could write some of those emails. We could do some of those requests. And um, I know during the summer, we've we've been able to have a little little less time, but then the students are coming back and we're gearing up and we'll be right back to all day, all night and not angels watching over us. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's an old black spiritual if you didn't catch that. But anyway. <laughs>
1: Well, we are coming to kind of the close of of today's episode, but I wanted to leave us with just a few thoughts. Um, You know, we talked a lot about what the problems were today and there are certain areas of your life you may be able to implement solutions and there are areas that you might not be able to. But I think the most important thing is that you're setting boundaries around your time. It is okay to say no to things. You do not have to volunteer to be on every single committee or work on every single collaborative project that is offered to you, um, it is okay to say no. Make sure you have a self-care practice and that can look like a lot of different things. Could be meditating or going out in nature or spending time in your spiritual practice, um, playing a sport or a hobby that really relaxes you. Make sure that you're making time for that and you're not skipping those things to work, right? Oh, well, I should probably not go, you know, play tennis with my friend today because I need to go do this work thing. Like make sure you're protecting that.
0: Yeah. Make sure you ride horses on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, and for me, walk every day, you know, regardless. Yeah. And, and I used to do that on campus and I bet people, I, for the when I first started doing it, I thought people think, does she never work? Yes, <laughs> she does. But she takes these two breaks to walk so that she can continue to work. And I, I read it. There was another article. I don't remember who the author was. Maybe it was some person who was blogging. I, yeah, I think it was Dave Schaefer. But um, some of the things that the way that that he talked about how you can overcome toxic productivity, he said focus on what is important, not just what's urgent. Yes. And then he said practice professional detachment. And I'd love to talk about that at, at a later date. Schedule time to do nothing, set clear boundaries. You told us that between work and personal time and build breaks into your schedule. That's just what I was telling you about by walking. Yeah. Those are all things that are recommended to help us to slow down, to stop this toxic productivity. And and you will, be a, you will be a producer. You're where you are because you have been a producer, but you don't have to do it from a toxicity perspective. Exactly.
1: So we thank you all so much for listening to our conversation today. I think it was a fiery one, which is great. Um, next week we are going to kind of do the second part of this conversation, which is about invisible labor. So we're really excited for you all to join us then. I'm Carly Blaylock with Reverend Sharon Bowers, and we will see you all next week. Bye.
0: Pass of victory, we shall walk.